بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد ولقد أرسلنا رسلا من قبلك وجعلنا لهم أزواجا وذرية صدق الله العظيم Our dear brothers, dear ulama, dear sisters, dear friends, and dear people of Trinidad who I've met around the world in different places, and finally I meet you in your own home, finally. And uh, mashallah, there's our uh, dear Sheikh there who's giving us a Trinidad Zamzam. Every day he's been supplying me a Trinidad Zamzam, which is your coconut water. So we have to spend a lot of money to buy coconut water in London. So here, mashallah, you get it naturally. I was in Scotland a few weeks ago, about a month ago in Scotland. So there they have Scottish Zamzam. And Scottish Zamzam is their drink they have called Iron Brew. So they call that Scottish Zamzam. And you guys call this Trinidad Zamzam. Or Trini Zamzam, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Um, <clears throat> what I want to speak about today is several different ideas, but all of that, those different points, inshallah, I'm going to speak about under the heading of preparation for marriage. Now, when I say preparation for marriage, those who are already married and not looking to marry again, don't think that you'll be excluded. Because what I, inshallah, intend to speak about in terms of preparation for marriage is actually absolutely relevant. In fact, more relevant after you get married. Because if you haven't prepared beforehand, you can still do it now. So uh, this is about one of the most important ingredients to have a successful life. And the other benefit of this is that what I speak about will not only be about while I speak about it with reference to marriage, it will actually not be just restricted to marriage. The same ideas that I speak about, inshallah, will you can use them at work, you can use them with your neighbors, you can benefit through those same ideas, just living with your own brothers and sisters. These are universal ideas, but I want to just speak about them with reference to marriage. Uh, and inshallah, by the end you'll understand. And if you don't, then I'm here afterwards to, uh, what do you call it, if you want clarification, inshallah. So I want to pose a question. What do you understand how do people prepare for marriage? Right? Think back. If you're already married, then think back how you prepared for marriage. What was preparation for marriage for you? And if you're not married yet, then, and you're of marriageable, marry, marriageable age, then you're probably preparing for marriage. So, when you become, I'm going to take you back on a journey. When you become about 15, 16, 17 years old, then your aunties, your uncles, and people you know will start saying, hey, you need to get married now. We need to start looking for somebody for you. And you start feeling good about it. That idea comes into your mind. So you start getting the butterflies in your stomach. Is that what you call it? You start feeling, yeah. So marriage finds a place in your mind. So now what, the way you prepare for marriage now from this inception here 
is you start to idealize the, the kind of spouse you're looking for. So if you're a man, you're going to be thinking, okay, that's the kind of wife I want. And maybe your ideas will change every day, every month, every new person you see, or however that is. Everybody's different, obviously. You can think of your own experiences. And uh, you start idealizing them. The entire focus is on the other person, on the person you want to potentially marry. The entire focus is on the potential spouse you're looking for. Just an ideal. If you're a man, then another, uh, as you get older now, you get 19, 20. What, what age do you guys get married in Trinidad? Average. Sorry? 25. Okay, not bad. So uh, when you get now 20, 21, 22, the men will start focusing uh, an additional aspect, which is, will I have enough money to support a wife? So that's the next level of preparation. Support the wife. Do I have a place to keep her? Women, they will also be idealizing the perfect spouse for them. Their thoughts will be, what are my in-laws going to be like? Right? Those are the big considerations. Am I going to stay with the in-laws? Will I have to serve them or not? Will I be staying alone? And so on and so forth. These are the basic preparations for marriage. Now when you actually find a spouse, meaning when you locate somebody that this is appropriate for you, somebody brings it up, you find whatever, however, and now you need to set a wedding date, which may be a month down the line, six months down the line, and for some very unlucky people it goes, I mean already if you have to wait six months that's unlucky, right? If you have to wait one year, two years, then I feel sorry for you, because that's torture. Right, that's torture. There was one couple that came. I knew them very, uh, the family. I said, why are you doing this for? They're going to speak. And they may get up to other stuff, which is haram. Let's just do a private nikah. The families are all there. They all know. Let's do a private nikah. Private means let's do a nikah at home. Right? Or wherever. So at least it's halal. Then when the day of the marriage comes, when you want to do your big do, then we'll do another nikah then. I said, how can you do that? That's two nikahs. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, some of our ulama, I don't want to confuse you guys, but some of our ulama, they actually suggest, like Imam Shami, Ibn Abidin Shami, rahimahullah, he actually even suggests refreshing your nikah vows once in a while. In fact, he says quite frequently, but I'm not going to suggest that. right? Quite frequently, just in case something has gone wrong. So when you refresh it, your nikah comes right. Maybe I'll discuss this aspect later. But, so, anyway, going back to the preparation aspect, when you start, uh, now, when you find a spouse, now the entire focus of the preparation is on the day or days of the marriage. Two day, how, how long is your marriage is here? How many days? One day, two days, three days, seven days? Just one day, alhamdulillah, Allah bless you guys. That's beautiful, right? W- once, in some people I knew, they... They have generally two days of marriage. One is the nikah day, and the next day is the walima day. So they have two minimum. But then these guys, they wanted to feed everybody for a week beforehand. Now for some of you, it's like wonderful free foods, right? Get together, what, what do you guys call it? Liming together or whatever? Huh? Oh, it's too complicated for me. Um, so 
I said, I, I thought that was torture because you, you got work to do. Busy people, you got work to do. Every evening, if you have to go and eat and sit for a whole week, that takes a lot out of your life. And come on, we've got things to do in life. Right? So Alhamdulillah, one day is very good actually. So your entire focus is on that day. And maybe if you're into honeymoons, then that will be planned as well. That's your entire preparation. About the day, it will be, okay, where's the hall? Is the booking available? Is there a vacancy? Um, what will be the cuisine? What, who will be the caterers? What will be my guest list? If I call so-and-so, I better call his brother and sister, otherwise they'll feel bad. And so on and so forth. What am I going to dress like on the day? Right? The wedding dress is another big issue. Right? You spend thousands on a wedding dress. So I'm, I'm not here to talk about wedding days, by the way. Right? But what I'm saying is that the entire preparation, entire energy is focused on the wedding day. So if you're going to get married a month later or two months later, every weekend will become a, week, uh, will become a shopping weekend. Where do you guys go to do your wedding shopping? Sorry? Internet shopping. You don't go to Dubai or Lahore or... Uh, Birmingham, like England or something like that, no? Okay. Alhamdulillah. So every weekend, that's why the, the, the best wedding is the one that's the fastest because you just get everything done, done and dusted. Anyway, the whole preparation is for those few days. But the real life, the real wedding, the real nikah, the real challenge is after that. But nobody prepares for that. That's what I'm trying to say. Hardly anybody will prepare for what's to happen afterwards and whether I am ready for marriage in the proper sense. The challenges of marriage. Everybody's focusing on the other only and not on themselves. I'll give you one example. If somebody wants to marry a woman because she's the most beautiful woman, right? Stunning woman. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? Meaning to find a wife that's stunning unless exclusively it's for being attractive. That's a problem because you have to think that if I'm going to get married to the most beautiful person is marriage about putting them on a show place and then watching them all day and admiring them. Mashallah, you're the most beautiful. You're the most beautiful. Is that what marriage is about? How long are you going to do that for? Before the reality comes in. Preparation is up. So now when I was writing my book on marriage, after I completed it, I like to send my books before they go published, before they get published. I like to send them to some critical pre-publication readers, variety of different people. Because I'd rather hear the criticism or the shortcomings before it's published. Right? And I like if somebody, if I send a book to somebody or an article and they say, mashallah, mashallah, wah, wah, it's wonderful. I don't send it to them again. I don't want you to praise. I want you to see if there's any genuine criticism. So we can sort that out because we're human beings. We make a lot of mistakes. So I sent it about 20 people. Majority of them were women because I'm a man. I'm writing about marriage, which includes man and woman still in Islam. Right. So um, I wanted the women. I wanted a women's perspective because I wanted the book to be balanced. I've never been a woman. I will never be a woman. I will never understand women fully myself. So I have to extend out to women to get that understanding. So actually the book. The first 60% draft was actually written by a woman for me based on my lectures. 
So I think there's a balance in there and the women have told me there's a balance in there inshallah. But anyway, the point was that one of the guys I sent it to, he said, have you spoken about why don't you discuss premarital counseling? Now think about this, premarital counseling. I said, what are you talking about? One is that lots of marriages are having problems. I think across the world. In England, less than 50% of the general population, I'm not talking about just Muslims, but general population, less than 50% are married. The majority will just live together and without nikah, zina, you know, they don't care about that. Less than 50% actually get married at some stage in their life. And among that less than 50%, there is proportionately so many more divorces than there ever were before. So you've got less people marrying, but the proportion of divorces is much greater than before. There are factors for that, which we won't go into. But in fact, in England, the day of the highest number of divorces, officially divorces registered in the council, is the 2nd of January. Because over the Christmas period, there's a lot of parties where they drink and they let down their hair or whatever you call it. And uh, things just go wrong from there and their marriages break. So they, they can't wait for it. They just, they are applying because divorce process takes a while. So they apply on the 2nd of January, which is really strange. Now, even now Muslim community, when a marriage breaks, <clears throat> there may be lots of counselors. I'm talking about England. But there's very few counselors that understand the Muslim religious perspective, along with being a professional counselor, to understand what a Muslim, their requirements are. And also being from an Asian or Arab or whatever background, understand cultural sensitivities. So it's very difficult to find a decent counselor who understands all of these things. So now this guy is telling me, why don't, why don't you speak about premarital counseling? Like counseling before anything has even gone wrong. Before you even get married. But when I thought about it more, it actually makes a lot of sense for some people. I'm not saying everybody must get premarital counseling, but there is one thing we must do. And I want you to think about this now. If you're not married yet, then you should think about this for yourself. If you are married, you still think about it for yourself. If you're very old, meaning old enough to have children and they're going to be married, then we need to prepare our children in the same way. And inshallah, my only purpose for saying this is so we can improve our marriages. And I believe if we think about it like this, I let you be the judge that if everybody was to think about it like this, don't you think our marriages would improve? Because for one thing, I don't think we understand what marriage is about. We don't think clearly enough to prepare ourselves to see if we can be in a good marriage. Am I capable of a good marriage? We're always focusing on the other person. Most of the questions that will come to us is, what is, if it's a man, it'll be, what is my wife's rights? Or what are my rights from her? It's always about just fulfilling a few rights. It's always about, it's never about what, what else should I do? What else can I do? So how do you really prepare for marriage then? In Malaysia, they actually don't let you get married unless you've taken a, a marriage course. So I'm going to propose, I'm going to very boldly propose, I'm just the guest here, but I'm going to boldly propose to our Imams, right, and committee of the Masajid, that you should not do any nikah here unless they've done a course on marriage. 
So the, for that, you'll have to develop a course on marriage, right? Or they'll have to take one online, a certified, you know, a course that you certify that, okay, if you've taken this course or read a book or something like that, believe me, you will, you will help the situation. So when, it, when does marriage season begin in Trinidad? Or is it all year round? Sorry? It's all year round. In England, it starts in May. May, June, July, August. Because that's when it's hotter. Days are longer. We have fluctuation. Maghrib in England is uh, 4 o'clock in, in the winter. 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And 9.30, 9.45 in summer. So you get longer day. You guys only have like a half an hour fluctuation, which is very good. So anyway... Uh, in, in very strategically, uh, like three times a year, you need to run a marriage course, the imams, right? And get them to read a book on marriage at least. I'm not saying my book, any book, any decent book on marriage. Or take an online course. Or the other way, do you guys charge to do nikah in the masjid? It's free. In England they charge you. <laughs> so, somehow, figure out a way that you cannot get married unless you've taken a course or read a book. I'm not saying do an exam. But at least that, because that will inshallah help. So now, how do you prepare for marriage? I've been asking that question since the beginning. How do you prepare for marriage now? So these are a few of the ideas now, right? Number one, I have to think to myself that am I ready for marriage? Which means I need to honestly think that do I have the qualities to be married? But more important, what are the failings, the shortcomings that mess up a marriage? Have I got those? What are going to be the challenges? The Prophet ﷺ said that I am the best of you in character, akhlaq, and I am the best of you to my wives. The Prophet ﷺ also said, when he, because he's speaking to women, uh, he's speaking to men. He's speaking to men, so that's why he said, Tunkahul Maratuli Arba'in. Women are generally chosen and married for generally four reasons, four primary reasons. Now he's speaking to men, that's why he's mentioning the women. But women will have their own criteria, similar criteria to this. Had the Prophet been speaking to women, he may have said something similar or maybe added something. He says, You either marry her for her money, for her family lineage family, ancestry, tribe, whatever. Number three, for her beauty. And number four, for the deen. And he said, make sure that you are a champion, you win with the deen. He didn't say exclude the others. If you get all of them, all four, alhamdulillah, nurun ala nur. But at least have the deen. As I said to you, if you focus on the beauty, remember marriage is not about putting somebody in admiring them all day. There's a lot more to marriage than just looking at somebody. They'll probably get tired of you looking at them anyway eventually. Right? Um, again, there's nothing wrong with money as long as it comes with the deen. I mean, one of the good aspects of the money, the negative aspect is that money could be lost and then you'd be with nothing. But the benefit of the money is that, you know, your in-laws will give you good gifts. Inshallah, they'll help you out. What's wrong with that? Um, your children will inherit from their mother's side as well. Is there anything wrong with that? That they get extra money from their mother's side? Alhamdulillah, no problem. Just teach them to deal with the money in the right way. Likewise, if you're finding somebody from a good 
family, then remember there's genetics. Again, what's wrong with certain families and they're known for their behavior, generosity maybe. They're known for their compassion. Some are known for mischief. So one of my father's criteria is that we don't want anybody where to get married to any family in which a small thing happens and they'll come with baseball bats to resolve the issue. That's not what we want. Um, different tribes, even in the time of the Prophet had different qualities. So why not pick somebody whose genes can pass into your children, whose positive genes can pass into your children? You have to think very thoroughly about this. You don't get married just on a dopamine rush. You see somebody, they excite you. That's dopamine. You haven't really thought, thought it through and you get married. And then once you get married, there's no more dopamine rush because it's yours now. There's no surprise element. There's no excitement anymore. And you're like, oh man, what did I do? So get married for the right reason. Um, so these are the things I want us to think about. First and foremost. And this is not in any kind of order, but it's just, just ideas. Akhlaq is the most important, right? You know, when the Prophet said that you need to be, you need to win with the one with the deen. So what does that mean? You must have, many of you have heard this hadith that you need to choose the one with the deen, prioritize. What does deen mean? Does it mean that the guy just prays? If it's a guy, right? That he just prays, has a beard, goes salat, you know, and so on and so forth. If it's a woman, it's like she prays, she covers, and so on. That's deen. That is deen. But in this context, the deen is something else as well. Because remember, the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he spoke about marriage, he spoke about akhlaq. Akhlaq is the ingredient of the deen to make a marriage successful. That's why he said, I'm the best of you in character. I'm the best of you to my wives. So that's why the deen here refers to conduct. Along with the salat and everything. Along with the ibadah, the worships, it's about your behavior and your conduct. Because that, a lot of the deen is going to be based, sorry, a lot of the success of the marriage is going to be based on your interaction. So what kind of characteristics do you need and how do you prepare for that? I, before marriage, need to honestly think for myself, do I have the following problems? And if I do, I should rectify them. What are these issues? Number one. Anger. Anger is a big issue. Because in writing the book and making research and, uh, and consulting with different people, <clears throat> the biggest issues in marriage are anger, money issue, uh, stinginess, money issues, uh, overbearingness and controlling aspect. And uh, of course, then there's the issues of in-laws. Then there's the issue of children. And then there's the issue of... Uh, you got young guys here, but uh, conjugal relationships. Do you understand that word? Right? Conj intimate relationship. That's a big factor as well. So in terms of all of this, how will I be? So let's take anger first. I, I need to be honest with myself. Right? That am I a guy who gets angry very quickly? Small, small things and I get angry. How will I know that? I'll know that because do I do that with my brothers and sisters, my siblings? Do I do that with colleagues? Do I do, do that with people around me? Do I just quickly get angry? If I do, I need to get some help. I need to sort this out. I need to control my anger because in marriage, this will be a very bad ingredient. 
You get this complaint all the time. So how do you, um, everybody must think for themselves. Uh, according to the ulama of Islam, there are four personality types for anger, with regards to anger. The first personality type is that a person who gets angry very quickly and he calms down very quickly. So he quickly gets angry, but then he calms down very quickly. So this guy is going to be red in the face one moment and the next moment he's smiling, right? I don't want you to think of others. I want to think us to think of how, which one we are. So if that's not your personality type, there's the second one is the one who hardly ever gets angry. It takes a long time. Maybe once a year, once every two years, he'll get angry. But if he gets angry, calms down very slowly. Then he stays angry for like, I don't know, five days or something. Number three is the person who gets angry very quickly. Number three, gets angry very quickly and calms down very slowly. Now imagine this person is most likely going to be right in the face most of the time. Scowls and lines on his foreheads, right? And before he's even calmed down from the first reason for anger, probably something else will anger him. And something else will anger him. So that guy is always going to be angry. The fourth one is the one who hardly ever gets angry. And when they get angry, they calm down very fast. Which is the best one? Hmm? The last one, do we have an agreement on this? Pretty much the last one. Actually, no, it can't be fully the last one all the time. Because if this guy hardly ever gets angry, you need a bit of anger. If your deen is being abused or your family is being abused and you just sit back and laugh. That's not very good. So maybe it's a shade in between that one and one of the first two. But which one is the worst? I think we can agree on the worst. Which is the worst? Number? Number three. Can we all agree number three is the worst? Now, can we diagnose ourselves is the big question. Which one are we? Or are we a combination of two, shade between the two? Whatever we are, let's just be honest with ourselves. If you're not married yet, go get some help. And if you are married, then go get some help. Because you can enhance your marriage. It doesn't have to stay the same way. We get these things, oh, this guy is just uh, gets angry all the time, gets angry all the time. Think about how do you get help? Number one, Maulana Ashrabali Thanwi Rahmatullahi Alayhi, he did this huge lecture. He's one of the big scholars of India. Did this huge lecture on anger. Said so the reason, he was very honest, he was, he's very transparent, he's very academic. And he said the reason, Assalamu Alaikum, this is a little kid, mashallah. Um, he said, the reason I spoke about anger is because I felt that I used to get angry, so I wanted to research it and help myself as well. The more, the, how I've benefited, you see, because you can tell these things, do I get more angry than my brother does? Do I get more angry than my sister does? It's easy to self-diagnose and be honest if you're honest about it. So, reading the verses in the Quran about the harms of and the virtues of controlling anger. The hadith about this, they're very, very useful because there's, a, there's lots of virtues in calming yourself down. And the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned that if you're standing, then sit down. If you're sitting, then lie down. And there's a benefit in that. Psychologically, when you're standing up and somebody says something to you, 
because you're in that state of readiness, you can more easily lash out. You just, they've done studies on this. That's why, I don't know about here, but in America, when the police stop you on the highway, they will, and then you're supposed to stay in the car and put your hands and so on and open a window. When they come, they'll never come in front of you. They'll stand to the side of your door and they'll speak to you from behind. Why? Because they don't want to be confrontational. When you're in a confrontation, it's easier to lash out. The Prophet also said, if you've got a knife, don't point it around because maybe shaitan will pull your hands. I don't know if you felt it, if you've got a gun uh, or a knife, you have this weird sense of feeling that, you know, it's possible. Shaitan, right? That's shaitan. So there's adab with this that we have. There's akhlaq of how to deal with these things. So, if it's really bad, your anger issue, then you know what you do? You take anger management courses. They actually have anger management courses. Be honest, like recognize the problem, get it done. Inshallah, it will improve your life, your communication with others, your colleagues at work, if you're a boss, your employees, and of course, your family. Right? Nobody likes an angry person. For the wrong reasons, you know. Angry person for the wrong reason. Okay, that was number one. Number two is you, you're gonna you're gonna understand you're gonna understand the trajectory here, but I, I can only mention certain things. Number two, are you a highly emotional, sensitive person? Small, small things make you irritated, and you become emotional. You start crying, you start weeping, and you stop talking, and all the rest of it. Right. You kids, you're understanding this. You understand so far. If you get too angry and you get too emotional and weepy all the time. Now, if you're a person like that, it's marriage is going to be tough. Because you're living with the family and suddenly you're going to stop talking to them. Nobody likes that. I know one sister who got married to a family. Um, the guy who she was going to get married to, I know both of them. Uh, he's got two disabled sisters and one disabled brother, no father, just a mother. She was willing to marry him and she knew she was going to stay with the family and she was going to be of service. And she was fine with that. I don't mind. You know, there's good people out there. So I don't mind being uh, in this kind of a wedding, sorry, in this kind of a marriage. And I don't mind helping out. So they got married. But the mother-in-law had a particular issue. She would stop talking to this girl. If something slightly went wrong, she stopped talking to her for two years, uh, two, two days. Now, how can you live like that? The person, the other person in the house, you know, because your husband's out, you can't speak to them. It's not the way to deal with it. I spoke about this some time ago, like two months ago somewhere. So one person asked me, how do we prepare our children for marriage? He understood the importance. So I'll give you an example. My son came home one day from school. And he, uh, my wife was talking to him. She said, the certain friend, oh, I'm not speaking to him right now. So I said, La hawla wa la. I said, you can't do that. I said, that's just very, very lazy to just stop speaking to people. That is so lazy. Yes, if there's a genuine reason and calculated reason for stopping speaking because you want to protect yourself from somebody, that's different. But just these, you know, the little petty reasons, I'm going to stop speaking to them. That's your way of punishing someone. It's just lazy. Deal with the matter. I said to him, this, you know, the, the, what you have to understand with children, 
is that if you've got a guy in your class that irritates you a lot, instead of making bad du'a for them, if you make bad du'a for them, you still have to spend the next four or five years with them in the same class. That's going to be horror for you. Instead, make good du'a for them that Allah sought them out and try to help them. So that inshallah, if they sort out, then mashallah, the next three, four years will be easy. One less person to mess around with. So alhamdulillah, since that day, my children never come home and say, oh, I've broken up with this person or that person. You don't break up with people on small, small issues. So what you have to understand, if you're a person who cries a lot, now remember, some men will be more, uh, you know, some of these issues will be more in men, some will be more in women. I'm not here to tell you everybody should know for themselves and be honest. Again, you need to get help. If you are a person that cries so easily, then instead of crying over that, understand that Allah has given you a huge asset. You just have to channel it in the right direction. So if you cry easily, there are people out there who make dua to Allah and they cannot cry even shed one tear. And mashallah, you do it for free. Right? You got more tears than you know, you, you can share them out. What you do, and there's a woman who came to us with that issue and we consulted and this is what we do. When you start, when you feel like that, don't waste your crying. Don't cry over yourself. Cry to Allah. Put your hands up, cry to Allah, and that will be very valuable. Use the tears, channel them in the right direction. The second thing you can do, open up the Quran with a translation or commentary and read and there'll be lots of things for you to share tears on and benefit yourself. Believe me, that's a very powerful way. That's number two. Number three. This number three I'm going to tell you is a very difficult one to di diagnose because the people who have this problem will justify, self-justify. And uh, the first two are easy. Like, you know if you get angry or not, hopefully. You know if you cry quickly or not. But this one is more difficult. Right? You've understood the first two, you kids, children? Okay, let me tell you the third one. See if you understand this one. If you are a domineering, arrogant, narcissistic... Do you understand what that means? Basically, if you think you're always right. Have you seen those people? They think they're always right even if they're wrong. And everything must go your way. Domineering. It must be my way. They're tough. I get calls from women. Generally, it's men like that, but sometimes women as well. And they say, this is how he is. I said, can you not get your father or his father involved? His brother involved? No. Why not? He doesn't listen to him. His father doesn't listen to him. Anybody in the community, he's broken up with everybody. Imam, no, he doesn't listen to him either. He's always right. There's nobody who can talk to him, only Allah, but he doesn't call out to Allah. Allah needs to punish him. I've seen certain people who don't listen, they're very arrogant, and then they are made to go through a trial in life, and subhanAllah, they become so humble afterwards. You're surprised, are you the same person? And you don't want that, you don't want to wait for that. You don't want to wait for a punishment from Allah to sort you out. As I said, this one is so difficult because a person like that, they think there's so much narcissistic self-delusion that you don't, you justify because we love ourselves more than anything else. So we will always justify for ourselves that we are right. And these marriages are very, very dangerous because there's abuse in these relationships. 
Now, just because in any relationship, any relationship, brother, sister, uh, colleague at work, employer, employee, uh, ustad, student relationship, there needs to be a healthy to and fro. Just because one person is always silent doesn't mean that they're happy. They never say anything doesn't mean they're happy. They're just probably too scared. There's very, maybe either physical or psychological abuse or they're just too scared to say anything. That doesn't mean that they're happy or she never says anything. How can she say anything? The house will come down. And uh, so, as I said, this one is difficult. But if you, if we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, oh Allah, help me correct my issues. Then there's a way out. Akhlaq can be changed. All of these things contribute to akhlaq. Can you see how we need to be thinking? So if we're not married yet and we have these problems, we can try to sort ourselves out. If we are married, we can enhance our marriages by sorting these things out. Even if you're 50, 60, you can still have the last 10, 15, 20 years of your life better than the previous one. And to be honest, a marriage is only supposed to get better. A healthy marriage is only supposed to get better. As the years go by, I know with everything else, you get tired of it. That's why you change cars. Doesn't mean that you can't get an addition, right? But every marriage, as long as it's a healthy marriage, should only be improved. Once I was sitting in Atikaf. It was Atikaf in Ramadan and there was an older sheikh there. He was actually, have you guys heard of Hakim, uh, have you heard of uh, Hakim Akhtar Saab? He was a big sheikh, one of the grand khulafa of Mawlana Shabri So he's his khalifa. And he was there in Atikaf with me. He's about 70. So I was a bit informal with him. So he was sitting and then his son was there. So he asked his son, he said, have you called your mom? Is she okay? Right? Because in Atikaf, you're supposed to be focused. So he asked his son if he'd called. So I just added a joke. I said, you're at this age, you're still worried? As a joke. Because I think you should be worried. Um, so he smacked me on the, lightly, smacked me on the, uh, on my leg and he said, Maulana, Mufti or whatever he said. He said, initially at the beginning, it's all about touch and intimacy. Eventually, even if you're not sleeping in the same room, same bed, there's a, a, there's a compassion. There's a rahmah that you have in a healthy, in a healthy marriage. I'm talking about 70 year old thing. Um, not talking about the 40-year-olds who are going through their midlife crisis and doing crazy things at that time. So, number four. We can go on with a whole list, but I d- I, we don't have that time. So, we can go on with a whole list of things that we need to be concerned about. Okay, another one. Miserliness. Am I a stingy person? Be honest, like, am I stingier than my brother and sister? This is the general way to see it. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created every one of us in a very unique way. We, no two brothers are perfectly alike. I may be, I, I am less open in giving than my brother is. One of us is going to be more intellectual. So one person may be more intellectual than the other, but he may be more miserly than the other. One person may get angry more than the other. We all have our challenges. In some things we do very well, and in some things we have challenges. 
And the character is equilibrium, is moderation. So push up this, push down this. If you're too generous, somebody will take advantage of you. Even for haram, that's haram. If you're too stingy, so again, how do we decide? Let's just say, for example, everybody gives your children ED money. You guys have ED? You call it ED as well? Right? But you don't give it to anybody because you say it's a bid'ah. But you take it. Your neighbors send you food, dishes. You never give to anyone. You say, this is not in the sunnah, ya I think it is in the sunnah, actually. Right? It is in the sunnah to share with your neighbors. In fact, what we have is that don't even take fruit into your house openly unless you're going to share with your neighbors. In those days, neighbors were very close. You just Today, I would say that if you're going to give your children ice cream in front of other children, not give them, that's oppression. One of the biggest punishments you can give to children is that you give some children ice cream and not the others. Yeah, Allah. You can't do that. So it also says that make sure that the smell from your cooking doesn't get to your neighbor. Now, we have kitchens that are, you know, not gonna, the smell isn't going to go, but when you do barbecue, it does. Unless you share with them. It says if you share with them, it's okay. It says don't build so high that it's going to prevent the light or the, 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 the wind the air, the fresh air from your neighbor. We have this. This isn't, These aren't just local council laws. We have this in Islam. Right? Anyway, the point is that, let's just say another example. You go out to eat. Do you guys go out to eat? Are there restaurants in that? Right? You go out to eat. And mashallah, you've had a big meal, five, six friends. When it comes time to pay, you go to wash your hands. It's a good idea. Yeah, use that as a good idea to go and pay the bill first. That in Islam, as I said, you may be naturally tight. You're not going to be sinful for that. You may naturally get angry quickly. You're not sinful for that. But where you exercise anger, where it's not supposed to be, and don't control it, you're sinful. Where, again, if I'm naturally miserly, I'm not sinful for that. But if I withhold in two places, then I'm sinful. One is where the Sharia tells me I must spend, like zakat. Or where it recommends for me to spend, like sadaqah. There's a massive fundraiser going on about Syria or somewhere else. And everybody's giving and i just like, no, no. You know, and I've got the money to give, but I don't give. It doesn't move me. That means I'm acting on my miserliness. Or when it's socially considered decent to spend and you don't. That's against common decency. That's also a problematic. That's where you're using your miserliness in the wrong way. In a marriage, miserliness, it doesn't work. I've seen families are suffering. Some husbands, they ask for an item, they give them a small amount of money, and then they ask for an itemized bill at the end of every month. You know, like itemized bill. And uh, um, in England, if you work and you make lower than a certain amount, you, the government helps you. It's called uh, working tax credit. They give you a certain amount. So I had a case where the husband wasn't working because he couldn't find a job or something. His wife was working. So the child, uh, sorry, the working tax rate is being given to the family because of her work. He's receiving it and sending it to his family in the country he's from. And they're struggling. That's wrong. Right? 
You get these weird things. In marriage, there's no end to problems and they're all unique, right? But if we can focus on the core character traits, we can sort a lot of this out. Um, can you think of anything else that we need to sort out before marriage or in a marriage? Aside from miserliness, domineering personality, anger, and what else is there? Another big one. If you are so into your friends and going out with them all the time, then you're going to suffer in marriage if you don't try to control that because you're going to have a wife now and you're just constantly out with your friends and she's feeling all alone at the house, especially if she's alone. Or if you're really into your family, so you give them basically running commentary of everything that happens in your marriage. Or your mother is remote controlling your marriage. Because you don't want to do it for yourself. You tell everything to your mother and she tells you, yeah, say this now, say this now and use these words and so on. Right? These are very dangerous things. Not to say you can't consult, but only consult when necessary. But this is, I had one case where a, they were having problems and the wife was literally giving her friends a WhatsApp commentary every day. There's enough soap operas on Netflix and other places. You don't need to give another one. So these are other issues. Num number five, I don't know which number we're on. Are you addicted to your, f to your phone or your laptop or whatever? Are you addicted to watching, is it cricket? What's, what's the big thing? In England, it's soccer. What is it here? Sports, whatever. So you have to come home and you must watch every day. Then, I mean, not to say don't be involved completely, but you need to moderate these things so after married things need to change. And if you're already married, you're still doing this thing, then I feel sorry for you. Get some help. Believe me, the, the horror stories we hear, just because of these akhlaqi issues. One woman, she's now 39. And the question is, will I ever see happiness in my life? She's just got out of a 17, uh, 15 or 17 year old marriage. She was blackmailed into marrying a cousin. This is in certain cultures. In certain cultures, this forced kind of blackmail marriage. Her father was a bit sick at the time, heart problems. And she didn't want to marry this guy, but her family was saying, if you don't marry and your father suffers, you're going to get blamed. So she got married. Then after that, she's having fun. The guy's a lazy guy, doesn't bring any money. She's the one who's bringing the food and everything. Uh, sorry, uh, working or getting the money and everything. And he's just relaxing and so on. And uh, you know what her mom tells her? Have more children and he'll get involved then, which was the biggest mistake. So she had three children and he didn't change. Finally, she gets out of the marriage and she's wondering whether there's happiness in the world. So these are detrimental issues. These are major detrimental issues. Um, everybody must be honest with themselves to try to sort these out because this is just our pure character. The Prophet ﷺ said, I was sent to uh, complete good character. All the prophets before me who brought the, uh, everything about good behavior, I'm going to add the cherry on the top. And the Prophet ﷺ would never have told us to improve our character if it was not possible. Because there are some people who believe they can never change. They literally say, I'm the way I am. You guys change. I'm not going to change. That is dangerous. Because then it means that Allah may make you change. As I said, I've seen certain people who just go from their arrogance completely to being very humble. Because after they've suffered... Why would you want to do that for suffering? So, for example, if I've had issue with my wife and I think she's wrong, 
and I think she's wrong. And generally, you're going to think some, the other person is wrong anyway, unless you're very honest. Um, so if I think she's wrong, and I say that she needs to apologize first, if I apologize first, it's going to send the wrong message. This is the way you say this. This is the way you generally work. I don't know if it's shaitan or what, but that's the way we work. So you know what gets, you know what helps me? Two hadith. One hadith is the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Badi'u bis-salami bari'um min al-kibr. The, the one who initiates the salam. You know, when you haven't met for a while or you have an issue, you say, Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. The one who begins that is the one free of arrogance. So I think I've got a lot of arrogance. If I do this, inshallah, I'll get blessing. This is the virtue that I hold on to, to be able to resolve this here. Number one. Number two. Another hadith. The Prophet said that if you're wrong, in the wrong, right? This is a really strange one because it's an, if you're wrong and you stop arguing, even though you're in the wrong, you shouldn't be arguing in the first place. And you stop arguing, you get a place, a particular place in paradise. Now, question is that if you think, if you know you're wrong, why were you arguing in the first place? Right? Why are you arguing in the first place? And if you are arguing, then why would you remember this hadith? But that's the point. That at least if you've made a mistake, you've got a habit, but you've learned this hadith, now use it. You're going to be rewarded. You shouldn't have been arguing in the first place. But one is you're wrong, but worse is to argue about it. So at least if we can prevent you from that, then inshallah you'll become right as well. You get rewarded for that. And if you're right and you avoid an argument, then you get a place in the center of paradise. That's what gets me going. So, okay, even though she's wrong, this is uh, what is, I'm getting something out of it. Humans need incentive all the time. That's the benefit of reading the books on character and akhlaq. I've benefited usually from reading people like Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi and Mawlana Ashabari Thani rahmatullahi and Imam Sha'rani rahmatullahi These people, they've dealt with this whole companionship, etiquette of brotherhood, akhlaq and character, and they usually benefit. Recently, I asked the Shaykh about this and he says, look, what you need to do is get book on akhlaq like Ghazali, uh, Thanawi, etc. and read that. Because like, for example, Imam Ghazali in his book uh, called Ahiya Ulum al He'll say anger. He'll bring you all the hadith in the, uh, in the criticism of anger, all the Quranic verses, uh, stories. Then he'll show you how to cure it. Mona Shabari Thani, he's got a book called Ta'alimuddin. Uh, we've published one called uh, Path to Perfection, where he takes jealousy, for example. What is jealousy? What's the cure for jealousy? They actually benefit you. They actually benefit you. Imam Sha'arani, also Mawlana Shavitani has got a book which uh, I, I don't have lectures on that. It's called Adabul Mu'asharat, Etiquette of Social Companionship. Beautiful book. You learn from it. Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda has one which is translated into English. In Arabic, it's called Min Adabil Islam. I forget the English translation. Again, what you do, what are the etiquette in some uh, cases? I've got an online series on zamzamacademy.com. It's, called, uh, it's on Imam Sha'arani's entire book on the etiquette of companionship. And mashallah, it's really, really useful. I'll give you one example. Sometimes in your life, you come across somebody who's not done anything wrong to you, but you just don't like them. Maybe it might be the color of their socks. It might be the way they speak. It might be a certain trait of theirs. 
they've not done anything wrong to you. But I just don't like this guy. Right? Sometimes that happens, right? You just feel an aversion. You don't. Uh, this is all from the alam al arwah, anyway. But you feel bad. Like, why am I judging this person for no reason? That's no good. That's negativity. I found the answer when I was going through this book that when you do find somebody like that, make dua for them, give them a gift maybe. Because when you actually do that, you suddenly find out when you actually make that effort that they're wonderful people and you can mashallah hit it off. You have to make an investment. It's better that you hate less people in the world than more people. It's better that you're good with others. Especially in your own family. I'm kind of moving on to general akhlaq and character because I think that's just beneficial across the board. So these are hugely beneficial. Hugely beneficial. Really, and they will have stories of the akhlaq of the good people, how they dealt with themselves in certain cases. And they are to our benefit, but you have to have an open heart for this. If you're one of those people who say, sorry, I speak very straight, right? So if it sounds a bit very straight, I apologize, but I just, that's the way I speak. Um, if you're one of those people who just think I cannot change, then you're really underestimating the mercy of Allah. You're underestimating the words of the Prophet about improvement of character. You can definitely change. I've changed hugely through my marriage. Part of it goes to my wife, right? She gets the blessing of that. She gets the barakah of that. So your marriage should actually be a way of improving yourself, not a way to vent our negativity. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for assistance. We ask him for help. We ask him for enhancement. We ask him for betterment in our marriages, in our personality, in all of our relationships, so that we are a better human being. We can leave a legacy. And hopefully after we die, somebody's going to say a good word about us. Somebody will make a good dua for us. Otherwise, we'll think we're right. We'll think we're right. We'll be domineering in this world while we're here. And then we'll be gone. And people say, good riddance. Right? Finally, we've been relieved. Leave a legacy. Give an excuse to people to make dua for us. And that's only done through akhlaq and character. And the Prophet said that whoever has been, whoever has been deprived of gentleness has been deprived of all goodness. So we ask Allah, because again, naturally I might be a harsh person, as I am. So I need to try to soften out through this, and I ask Allah for help. So Allah bless us all. Jazakallah khair for sitting here and listening. And uh, may Allah keep this Saturday evening when you could have been doing, I don't know, so many other things on Saturday nights. Very valuable time. Lots of competition out there. You decided to sit here between... Uh, what is it, Maghrib and Isha. And uh, Allah bless us, make this a turning point for us, an enhancement for us, inshaAllah.